Verse 7. On the 24th day of the 11th month of the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Edo. During the night I had a vision, and there before me was a man riding a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in a ravine. Behind him were red, brown, and white horses. I asked, What are these, my lord? The angel who was talking with me answered, I will show you what they are. Then the man standing among the myrtle trees explained, They are the ones the Lord has sent to go throughout the earth. And they reported to the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees, We have gone throughout the earth and found the whole world at rest and in peace. Then the angel of the Lord said, Lord Almighty, How long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the towns of Judah, which you have been angry with these 70 years? So the Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. Then the angel who was speaking to me said, Proclaim this word. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, but I am very angry with the nations that feel secure. I was only a little angry, but they added to the calamity. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will return to Jerusalem with mercy, and there my house will be rebuilt, and the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. Proclaim further, this is what the Lord Almighty says. My towns will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. So our worship leader, uh, Jen Che, unintentionally tied in with the introduction to the sermon this morning when she greeted us with Happy August. To my mind, August is not a happy month. May is happy. June is happy. July is reasonably happy. In August, life satisfactions go sharply downward. Now, any high schooler knows why August is not a happy month. (laughs) College students, not so much, because the more you pay for school, the more you get to play at school. But all August tells me is fall is coming, and fall tells me winter's coming. And at least in May, I know we've made it through another winter. And we got the summer ahead of us. But now I turn around. You know, it was May, and I missed planting my garden. But, you know, it's May, it's early. You know, June, July, and then, oh boy. It's almost past. So time's a curious little thing. A pastor friend of mine from Singapore tells me there's two kinds of people. Those who are always on time, and those who are never on time. And typically they marry each other. (laughs) Times are curious phenomenon. You know, what's the slowest, when you were in, in, like in junior high, what's the slowest five minutes in any day? Typically 
2.10 to 2.15, particularly if you're wondering whether your teacher's going to give you a pop quiz or call on you just before the bell rings and you sit there thinking, move, clock, move, you know. And it moves so slowly. August moves a lot faster than May does. Another reason why it's not such a happy month. Uh, time's a curious thing. Any number of missionaries, missionaries to the Philippines, for example. Africa must be worse, but I spent some time in Asia, so I know about... Uh, missionaries to the Philippines are warned about time. Because Americans, you know, we know you're supposed to go to somebody's house, get, get through your business, and then leave again. You know, you're not, you, 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 know, you don't want to spend more than an hour with somebody. And the Philippines would consider that rude if you show up and leave an hour later. You know, time's a, a subjective, curious thing. There was a story we read in French class many years ago. I don't talk to me in French if you know French. I don't know it anymore. But there was a story we read about this fellow who, for some inexplicable reason, lived only one day out of two. He'd live, and then he'd cease to exist, and then he'd start living again, and then he'd cease to exist. And in his day, the day he was alive were kind of full and enriching. Because he'd read the newspaper from the day he missed, and he'd catch up on whatever was going on. And it was good system. He, was, he wasn't too particularly perturbed by it. Then he started dating. And the day went by so fast. And he knew he was going to have to say goodbye that night, and it went by so fast. And then you know what happens, right? I mean, this is a French story. It's not going to have a happy ending. Then she breaks up with him. And the day he's alive is so dismal and dreary and lasts forever. And he can't wait for it to be over. Time's a curious thing. Why does time move faster as we get older? I looked it up on the web. I looked, Scientific American has an article about it useless article because it doesn't tell you why it says it's going to tell you why and it just talks about it it doesn't tell you why psychology today had an article but that was not really so much why time moves faster but why we feel that time moves faster so that was even less useful than scientific american i don't want to know about my feelings i'm a man At NPR yesterday, I was listening to a show called, uh, listening to a, a presentation by a uh, nonprofit called Compassionate Friends. And it exists for those uh, adults, adults who lose children, whose children die. And they get together and try and help each other out. But one of the people who founded Compassionate Friends, her mother had died when she was young. And she told the story that when she got married, her father didn't tell her, because he was a young, widowed at a young age, he didn't tell her what you'd normally tell people when they get married. What do you normally tell your children when they get married? Is, you know, work hard, save up, get a house, get established, and then you have more freedom and liberty and you can do things. Her father's advice to her was, don't wait until you have money. Make sure you enjoy life now, because you don't know how long it's going to last. So time's a curious thing, whether it lasts 
whether it feels like it's lasting a long time or whether it feels like it's spinning. The classic example is this. People told me when I had young kids, and I knew it was true, but you just can't get past it. When you got kids, every day lasts forever. When you have young kids, every day lasts forever. I remember a young mother who was having a, her husband knew she was having a good day at home with the kids when she called for help at 4 p.m. rather than at 2 p.m. Every day lasts forever. And then before you, every year goes so fast. It makes no sense that years would be quicker than days. So time's a curious thing. Now, in the Bible, there's a curiosity about time. And that's different than any of the examples I've given you so far. But it is a curiosity, a biblical curiosity about time that really shapes how we live now and how we approach life now. There's a concept in Scripture of only two days. Life can be summed up in two days. Only two days matter. So Scripture talks, often talks about this day and that day. And it holds the key to how we approach life. It holds the key to our satisfaction with life. Now we've been looking together at a Bible survey. Uh, if you want to catch up on the old readings, the BibleYear.wordpress.com. I've got some old readings. I put up some new readings from time to time when I get a chance. Uh, also, there's if you want a survey of what we've been doing, you don't want to read 100 pages. There's a 12-page summary in the back on the uh, outside on the bulletin uh, uh, bulletin rack, a magazine rack in the back. But what we've been looking at is the history of Israel, and we've gone through a period where where history came, where Israel came into existence under Abraham, three promises. Then Israel went into exile because of its sin. And now we're looking at a third stage in Israel's history when they're being invited back from history, from, from exile. And it's a really hard experience. Because God had told them a thousand years earlier, God had told them 80 years earlier, He told them again, I'm going to send you into exile for your sin. After warning them for generations, Hundreds of years. But he said, if you repent when you're in exile, you repent, I'll bring you back. I'll bring you back, your people back. I'll bring you back to the land. And you will have a great life. It'll be great and glorious. You'll have the life that you always expected, that I always promised. But God brought them back. And it wasn't instantly great. And so all of the post-exilics, all the books we're going to look at over this quick survey, all the post-exilics are asking, why isn't God fulfilling his promises? Why isn't life the way it's supposed to be? Similar question to what we have today. Why isn't life always the way we expect? Why isn't it the way he promised? Why isn't it the way it's supposed to be? And so the post-exilic authors try to address this. Now, the first place we started with, with, in the post-exilics was Ezra chapter 1 to 6. And Ezra's not here yet. Uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua come back to the land. And they, one of the reasons they went into exile was because they hadn't worshipped God. They'd worshipped a lot of other gods. They worshipped Jehovah and the Canaanite gods. And God said, no, 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 no. I'm the God, your God. I, I looked after you. I gave you all these blessings. You worship me alone. And they refused. So when they come back from exile, they know they were punished for not worshipping God. So they come back from exile. The first thing they do is they build an altar. And you can't just have an altar, you want a temple around the altar. 
to keep God safe from your sin and to keep your, you safe from God's holiness. You want a temple around the altar. They started to build a temple. But life's a lot harder than they expected. First of all, they didn't have a lot of money because they're new immigrants, laborers, you know, subsistence farmers. And then the people that lived in the land then didn't want to build in the temple and the emperor told them to stop. So life was hard. And they ask, why? And then in, in Ezra chapter 5 and 6, two prophets arise. Haggai and Zechariah. And Haggai and Zechariah tell them, I don't, it doesn't matter what the emperor says. God is the emperor of the whole world. God says build. And they start to build again. And so Haggai explains to them, Haggai starts by explaining to them, why has life been so hard? And in August of 520 BC, Haggai starts to teach. He teaches for only about four months. And basically he tells them this. Life is harder than you expect because you haven't built that temple. Build the temple. God has been so gracious and generous to you. You build the temple and he'll continue to be gracious and generous to you. And so they built the temple. But life still wasn't spectacular. Zechariah started teaching. Normally in the Bible, we don't know exactly when they started teaching, but the books of Haggai and Zechariah are clearly very specifically dated. Zechariah started teaching a couple of months after Haggai started. He started in October. And the temple's being built. And he addresses the same question. Why is life so difficult for us? Why is God not blessing Haggai and Zechariah both talk about the two days to explain why life is the way it is. When the people build the temple in Haggai, Haggai chapter 2 verse 19, Haggai says, From this day forward, Haggai says, Oh, I better just, okay. Haggai says, from this day forward, they've built the temple. And so God says, from this day forward, I will bless you. Because you've obeyed me, from this day forward, I will bless you. And then Haggai introduces another concept in contrast to this day. On that day. And these are the two days that, script, that govern scripture. Because what Haggai is saying is, on this day, God is going to, God is going to begin blessing you, care, taking care of you, providing for you. But it's not that day yet. There's another day when life will be truly glorious and truly spectacular. And the whole world will worship God. And the whole world will come to Israel and learn from Israel. And your lives will be glorious and all the promises of God will be fulfilled. So the minute you hear that day, it's a reminder that we're not there yet. So this day, God begins to bless. That day, God will fully bless. And scripture lives between these two tensions. Haggai introduces it, and we see the same thing coming up in Zechariah. This is Zechariah's answer. Now, I won't focus on the specific passage we read. I want to give you an overview of Zechariah. I will try to get readings up online about the specific passages. But let me tell you what's happening in the whole book. Zechariah chapter 1, or chapters 1 to 6. It begins the story of four horsemen that are sent out to the whole world. 
And these four horsemen, uh, horsemen, right? They're, it's a military image. Uh, Israel was still an occupied country under a, uh, an empire, foreign empire. They, they send out the horsemen. And the horsemen go throughout all the world to reconnoiter what the situation is. It's a reconnaissance mission. And the message of the horsemen going out is this. Israel has built the temple. God has sent out his horsemen. And notice what the horsemen find. Israel, ask, uh, Israel asks this question in chapter 1, verse 12 in our reading. Lord Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the towns of Judah with which you've been angry these 70 years? How long, O oh Lord, Lord Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem? And God sends out the horsemen. And the message is this, that God is no longer withholding mercy. God sends out the horsemen. One of them sees craftsmen destroying the horns. The horns represent the foreign nations. What God is saying is, look, Babylon defeated Israel. And now Israel can come back to its land because Persia defeated Babylon. God says, you've got to see beneath history. You've got to read between the lines. You've got to see beneath the surface. He says, Israel, why can you come back to the land? Only because Persia defeated Babylon. Babylon took you into exile. Persia lets you out of exile. What God is saying, what Zechariah is saying is, it, it, this is not Persia being an enlightened dictatorship. This is God. God's working behind the scenes. God's working beneath the surface of history. And he's letting you come back. He's judging the nations that took you into exile. And he's letting you come back into the land. Chapter 2. He sees this picture of an architect measuring Jerusalem with a tape measure. Why? Because they're going to rebuild. They've rebuilt the altar. they rebuilt the temple. And what Zechariah is saying is, this is God at work. Why were you able to build that altar? Only because God was at work. Why were you able to build that temple? Why is the temple under construction now? Only because God's at work. This day, God is already at work. When they came back from exile, they had two leaders, Joshua the high priest and Zerubbabel the governor. And as the horsemen go out, they see Joshua. They see Joshua in the heavenly court. It's an image of Joshua between the, before the court of God. And God's the judge. And Joshua's there in filthy garments. And they see him get a new wardrobe. They see him cleansed from his sin. They see him authorized to be priest. And what God is saying is beneath the scenes, behind the scenes, beneath the surface, what's going on here? It, it, God's already at work. Why could Joshua come back from exile? Why could Joshua be your high priest? Because God has already started working. And then in chapter 4, he sees Zerubbabel anointed in a vision. How could Zerubbabel come back and be your governor? Yes, he's not king yet, but how could he be your governor? God did that. It wasn't the Persian emperor. It was God moving the Persian emperor. God is at work behind the scenes, beneath the surface. God is at work this day. Chapter 5, he sees God banishing thieves and liars. And, and then in chapter 
5, the second half, he sees God banishing all the sin of the people in a basket with a lid, sending it back to Babylon. And what Zechariah is saying is look beneath the surface. Consider the theological significance of these historical events. How can you come to this land? Because God's at work. God left your sin in Babylon so that he can bring you out. God punished you for your sin by exiling you to Babylon, but that's where he left your punishment. That's where he left your judgment. That's where he left your sin. And now you can come back to the land because God's been at work. God brought you back. God destroyed your enemies. God brought you back to the land. God restored Joshua to be high priest. God restored Zerubbabel to be governor. God banished your sin. God banished thieves and liars and all of your sin so that you can come back to this land. That's this day for Zechariah. So what Zechariah is telling us to do is look beneath the surface of the events and see the hand of God. Look behind the scenes because it's God doing these things. It started. I've used this illustration before, but it fits. You remember you know, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, right? When, um, when, when the, uh, C.S. Lewis describes when the, when the kids are on their way to meet Aslan and the snow, or the white witch's sled gets stuck on the ground because the snow has started melting. That's what this day describes. If we have the eyes to see beneath the surface, if we look behind the scenes, when God's work moves ahead, it's because he's at work. The snow has started melting. The white witch's sleigh, Satan's sleigh, is getting caught on the ground. We're not there yet, but this day has dawned. And then, Zechariah tells us, there's another day. Zechariah chapter 12 to 14. I don't know, 15 times? Zechariah chapter 12 to 14. On that day, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock. On that day, I will strike every horse with panic and its rider with madness. On that day, I will make the clans of Judah like a fire pot and a wood pile. On that day, the Lord will shield those who live in Jerusalem. On that day, I will set out to destroy all the nations that attack Jerusalem. On that day, there will be weeping in Jerusalem for the one they've slain. On that day, a fountain will be whole opened up to the house of David and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. On that day, I will banish the names of the idols from the land. On that day, every prophet will be ashamed of their prophetic vision because we won't need prophets anymore. We'll know God ourselves directly. On that day, a day of the Lord is coming, Zechariah 14.1. On that day, the feet of God will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley, and half the mountain will move north. And half the mountain will move south. On that day, there will be neither sunlight nor cold or frosty darkness. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half to the east to the Dead Sea, and half to the west to the Mediterranean. And on that day, the Lord will be king over all the earth. There will be one Lord, his name, the only name. On that day, holy to the Lord will be inscribed on the bells of the horses and the cooking pots in the Lord's house 
will be like sacred bowls in front of the altar. On that day, there will be no more unholy people in the house of the Lord Almighty. On that day. So Zechariah tells us, there's this day and that day. And in this day, God's at work, often behind the scenes, but he's at work blessing. He's at work forgiving the sins of his people. He's at work bringing his people back from exile. He's at work at defending, uh, defeating their enemies. He's at work raising up their leaders. And if they have eyes to see, they can see the hand of God. It's not random events, it's the hand of God. And foreshadowings, promises of that day when everything will be pulled together. This contrast between this day and that day continues also in the New Testament. For the book of Matthew goes back to the book of Zechariah to explain what's going on in Jesus' time. Matthew 21.5, quoting from Zechariah 9, Say to the daughter of Zion, See... Your king comes to you, gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah had promised, Jesus delivered. Matthew chapter 26, 31, Jesus told them, quoting Zechariah 13, This very night, as it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. This day, God's at work fulfilling the promises of Zechariah. And yet scripture also anticipates that day, a coming day in the future, when Jesus will return. And Second Peter describes it this way. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with the promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. That day will wrap all things up, destroying all evil and bringing about all fullness of glory. This day and that day. Now, what difference does this make to us? You know, we sang that song here a little while ago. I will rise. I will rise. As Christ has risen to life. Now in him. Now in him I live. You see, that captures this day. It uses the future tense. Now I will rise. But let's consider that a, a hortative future rather than a, future, a predictive future. I will rise. I have risen. As we come to know Jesus, we are living in this day. I have risen. And there'll come a day in the future when we will yet again rise. What difference does this make? We currently live, you could say, between this day and that. And sometimes we lose sight of the things that God's doing in our lives or in our ministries, through us or for us. 
we can get disheartened by what we perceive to be, like they perceived, slow progress or meager results. Think of the news just this week. Christians facing persecution for their faith. Money corrupting politics. Minorities, another minority again shot by a policeman. Can you imagine being a conservationist and seeing Cecil the lion shot the way he was shot? Drought and wildfires. Uh, France overrun by refugee immigrants fleeing violence in the Middle East. Giving your life to orphan care with the prospect that maybe some of the orphans you look after will never be adopted and that some of them may die first. We live in an era marked by disappointment and discouragement. And we can focus on that just like we can focus on the downside of August. But you know, there's an upside to August. And there's an upside to all of this. Because God is at work in each of these situations. He's at work maybe behind the scenes, maybe beneath the surface. He's at work in us and through us. And, and the question really for us, like the question that Zechariah addressed with the post-exilix, is are we going to focus on this day and the surface of it so we don't even see what God's doing? Or do, are we renewed by the promise of that day that this God who's begun to work beneath the surface, behind the scenes, will one day work so vividly that everybody everywhere sees it. And our work will be done. Zechariah addresses a people discouraged by their service of God, trying to make things right and finding it a struggle. And Zechariah's promise to them is, look, God's already at work in you and through you. In this day. And a new day is coming the day of the Lord, when he will do all things and make all things right. We live in the same day as they live because Jesus has brought us to new life and promises us a future resurrection. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your sustaining words from Zechariah. We thank you for your sustaining words from Jesus. May they sustain us that we might put our hearts and our hands to enthusiastic use in this life so that we can celebrate in the life to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Please rise with me as we respond in worship.